Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I just want to take a second before we get to the show today to say that every day we bring you conversations from across the NPR network. We've got a whole squad of hosts and producers with, you know, their own tastes and interests helping us bring you your next read. And NPR's journalism relies on your support to keep it free for everybody. So please consider a donation to help not just us at the Book of the Day podcast, but the NPR network as a whole at donate.npr.org slash books. You know, books are such an integral part of our lives from that first book our parents read to us to that one book we read when we were 13 that really warped our mind to the book that, okay, you know, maybe we read the spark notes for in high school, but came back to as an adult and realized it was pretty good. Come on, that's not just me, right? Anyway, we do this podcast every day to get you thinking about an interview or a topic or maybe get your own creative juices stewing by hearing from a wide swath of writers. Help us keep doing it for another year at npr.org slash books. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get to today's pod. It's the holiday season. Whether you've got folks coming over to your place or if you've got people you need to see, I think it's a safe bet that your oven is earning its place this month. Today, we've got two cookbooks to help you find some inspiration. In a bit, we've got a book on cookies. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on working out the best cookie recipe, but we're about to hear from someone brazen enough to name their book The Cookie Bible. But first, my oven is often working hand-in-hand with another absolute clutch workhorse star player on my kitchen roster, the sheet pan. Or I guess it's technically a half-sheet pan. Author Molly Gilbert gets into that. Her book is called Sheet Pan Sweets, and she talked to Here and Now's Robin Young about the wide variety of carbs you can cook using the humble sheet pan. This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, Treachery, and Survival at the Edge of the World by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. So have you jumped onto the sheet pan dinner bandwagon? You know, you prepare your entire meal on a single sheet pan. You save time, clean up. It's simple. Molly Gilbert has written a book called Sheet Pan Suppers, but now the cookbook author and French Culinary Institute graduate has a beautiful new cookbook dedicated to sheet pan baking. Yes, there are the expected cakes. Maybe you've made a sheet cake at some point. But some of Molly's are pretty innovative like the coconut tres leches sheet cake, that's three milks, or the chocolate pear recipe, the bars, rolled cakes like the pumpkin tiramisu, cookies, pies, breakfast offerings, apple fritter cake, pumpkin spiced granola and orange olive oil challah. I could eat the book. There's kids' treats like the idiot-proof, all-the-cereal crispy bars, which somehow I managed to destroy. More on that in a moment. Molly Gilbert, welcome. What a beautiful book. Thank you so much, Robin. It's great to be here. And start with sheet pan baking. Why a sheet pan? Well, as you know, uh, I wrote a sheet pan cooking book, and there's a chapter in there for sweets, and I thought you could just do so much more with sweets on a sheet pan. So you can feed a crowd. You can have a huge party. You can bring sweets to the school bake sale. And another benefit of baking on a sheet pan is that because it's so big and the surface area is so wide, cakes cook really quickly. 
It also gives you a nice quick cooling time as well, so you can get to frosting if that's what you're going to do. So if you need cake in a hurry, a sheet pan cake is the way to go. And who doesn't often need cake in a hurry, I say. <laughs> and uh, this is where we should really do what I did not do. And I would say to those, you know, getting the book, read the wonderful introduction where you give all the tips and everything. And one is what you're talking about. What is a sheet pan that you're talking about? What's the size? The size that I'm talking about is an 18 by 13 inch pan and it has a, a little one inch lip around the edge. And you say is, this is often called a... Often other? called a half sheet. Okay. Well, that's what I missed <laughs> when I rushed to cook one of your recipes and I grabbed, you know, a smaller sheet pan, like 13 by 8 or something. And I was making the very simple all cereal treat. It's so simple. It's literally melt the butter, put the marshmallows in, melt the marshmallows, and then stir in the Rice Krispie and I think the Cocoa Puffs. That's it. But I started to notice out of the corner of my eye, the marshmallows rising up like a chef's toque, you know, just rising up. And I realized, (laughs) oh my gosh, this is way too big for that small pan. I ended up cutting the marshmallow in half and using two pans. And But (laughs) you say if you don't want that volume, you can get like a quarter sheet pan and half the recipe. Yeah, they make quarter sheet pans as well. Okay. So there are all those benefits. And these recipes of yours are just beautiful. They taste great. We tested a few. Forget my my Rice Krispie thing. Although that is something that kids can do with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So easy. Um, But our producer, Karen Miller-Medson, who's actually a a baker, she tried out the s'mores, brown butter blondies, actual graham crackers and marshmallow, just great uh, bars. And the berry shortbread crumble bars. Talk about the blueberries. I'm going to take a little taste from the berry bar because, you know, research. Blueberries and talk about the shortbread crust. Yeah, so this recipe I love because you're making one dough and it serves both the crust that you press into the bottom of the pan, which you Mm. pile high with berries. And it sounds like Karen used blueberries, but you can use any kind of mix of berries that you have around. And then the same dough, you reserve some and crumble it on top to make the sort of shortbread crumble part Mm -hmm. of the recipe. Um, And the whole thing bakes in the oven fairly quickly. And when it comes out, it's sort of a mix between cookie bar and a pie, but it's just easily sliceable and packable and portable, and it's one of my favorites. Yeah, and it's very lemony, just uh, wonderful, that shortbread crust. I'm thinking, too, the, the benefit of having so much, like I now have more Rice Krispie bars and I know what to do with, but you can freeze them. Yeah, for sure. Or you can, you know, make best friends of your neighbors. (laughs) Well, yes. Uh, There's the chocolate mousse squares, the pumpkin tiramisu roll, which looks like a centerpiece. These are far more elegant. What is the benefit, again, of the sheet pan with them? Yeah, so if you want to go beyond just the basic layer cakes, the chapter in the book is called Layered and Rolled Cakes. So you start by baking a simple sheet cake and then If you want to layer it, you can cut out either square or circular rounds in the sheet cake and stack them and frost them just like you would a regular, you know, layered cake. And then with all of the extra cake that you've got on the pan, you can use that to crumble up on top or to cut cubes and kind of use those for decoration on the cake. And if you are making a rolled cake, um, I give you directions on how to roll up the cake into a really pretty roulade kind of situation. Um, And usually those are filled with some sort of buttercream or whipped cream. And those are just super elegant. But again, it's all baked on a sheet pan. So it's not complicated. And as you say, it's important to note, this is a sheet pan, not 
a jelly roll. Not pan. a jelly roll, exactly. It sounds like maybe you were working with the jelly roll for your Rice Krispie treats. I I don't know what it was. It was it just it was just uh, <laughs> but it was too, too, too small. small, right? But <laughs> but the jelly roll pans they aren't as, as sturdy. They're not as sturdy, and they tend to sort of warp a little bit in the oven. So I find that the sheet pan gives. Um, a more even rise to these treats. Okay. Um, getting back to, though, the, the all-cereal treat, which is uh, marshmallows and brown butter and sea salt sprinkled on top. You can taste this salt. You talk about flaky sea salt, which I couldn't find. Talk about salt and Rice Krispie treats. Yes. Well, there are all different kinds of salt that you can bake and cook with. And at the beginning of the book, I note that I use kosher salt in all of the recipes, and then I like to have some fancier sea salts on hand for finishing a lot of the sweets. I love the balance between salty and sweet. Mm. But I use usually a brand called Malden Sea Salt, which has these really big chunky flakes but doesn't taste super, super salty. Just gives a really pretty kind of finished look and a small salty bite for a bunch of the recipes in the book. And yes, these Rice Krispie Treats as well. I just find Rice Krispie Treats can be so sickly sweet sometimes, offsetting them with that brown butter and a little hint of salt really makes them sing for me. But let's go through some other tips, kind of a lightning round. Butter versus cooking spray for preventing sticking. Either will work. It just depends on what you have on hand. And cooking spray takes less time for me, but butter will add a nice little flavor in there as well. Okay, unsalted versus salted butter in baking. In baking, I use unsalted because I like to control the salt myself. Okay. Food processor versus blender. Probably food processor for me. A couple of the recipes in this book do use a food processor. There's a frosting recipe that I have that comes together quickly in a food processor. Although if all you have is a blender and you don't have a food processor, that would work as well. Okay. Uh, Stand mixer versus the handheld. Does that depend on how strong your arm is? Like when you have the meringue (laughs) recipes? It it might depend on how strong your arm is. I love my stand mixer. I've had it for years. I also have a handheld mixer, and I found, especially since having kids, they love to help hold the mixer and just get involved that way. So again, either will work. It just depends on what you've got around. Let's see. Sour cream versus yogurt. Ooh, can I say both? I love sour. I could eat either just by the spoonful. They both give a lovely sort of tang to baked goods, and I use both in these recipes. Okay. Can you swap out gluten-free flour for regular flour? Usually, yes. There's a little bit of nuance there. You have to make sure that the bag says that it's swappable one for one. I've had success using gluten-free flour in uh, many of these recipes. So there's our lightning round. That's cookbook author and French Culinary Institute graduate Molly Gilbert. Her beautiful new cookbook dedicated to sheet pan baking is called Sheet Pan Sweets. Molly, by the way, do we understand? I mean, we're very impressed with uh, your studies in France. Were you also a taster at a high-end magazine? I worked in the test kitchen at Savoir Magazine, which is based in New York, yes. So what did you have to do? Like, what was it? Oh, that's disgusting, or that's awful, or that's good, or, you know. (laughs) So I was responsible for testing a lot of the recipes that were published in the magazine. So I was testing and retesting and retesting all these recipes to make sure that they were perfect before we published them. What a terrible, terrible burden that must have been for you. <laughs> well, so she seasoned people. Um, Molly, thanks so much. Thank you, Robin. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. 
Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at betterhelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from The New Yorker. What makes a short story work? Explore the minds of writers like Otessa Moshfag and George Saunders on the New Yorker Fiction Podcast to find out. Listen to the New Yorker Fiction Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The books we feature on this pod often deal with some of the big philosophical dichotomies of our time. Free speech versus censorship, safety versus freedom, heck, even good versus evil. This conversation between Here and Now's Robin Young and baker Rose Levy-Berenbaum about her new book, The Cookie Bible, touches on another one of life's great quandaries, chewy versus crispy. It's been nearly 35 years since legendary baker Rose Levy-Berenbaum released the iconic Cake Bible, which quickly became every baker's holy guide to all things cake. Now, just in time for the holidays, comes her cookie Bible. Yes, it's packed with recipes from the simple chocolate chip cookie to the spectacular Dequoise meringue puff. Also, though, there are techniques, diagrams, tips. Bake as close to the center of the oven as you can. Remove the cookies from the pan. They're like little engines. They'll keep cooking themselves. There's recipes for fillings, jams, ganaches that bakers can use to make sandwiches and layer cookies. It is a cookbook, but it is also a guide. And I don't believe there's a question that goes unanswered. Uh, Rose Levy-Berenbaum, welcome. Thank you, Robin. Oh, my goodness, you were so comprehensive. And back at you. <laughs> I mean, there's, <laughs> there, there's just everything in here. Why did you decide to do this? Because you had other cookie books. Well, I've had cookies in just about every book, and I did have a cookie book for Christmas. But I had a lot more in me than just holiday cookies. So what I wanted to achieve in this new book was to create the best possible version of all my favorite cookies and then to find and offer the easiest and best techniques for making them. When your Christmas cookie book came out, you said something like, I'd rather have one perfect cookie made with butter than a whole bunch made with shortening, at which point the National Dairy Council appointed you some sort of spokesperson, right? (laughs) I was going to add that. Thank you for adding that. (laughs) Yes, they didn't have to give me my line. My line was there already because it wasn't a line. It was the truth. Why, by the way? Because shortening has no flavor, and butter not only has a lovely flavor of its own, but it enhances other flavors. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay, tips like that all along the Mm -hmm. way. Classic recipes, as we said here. But there's also lemon lumpies, uh, peanut butter and chocolate chip shortbread, brownie donuts. Yes, that's an original. That's never been done before. But I have to tell you, the lemon lumpies were actually inspired by... Any baker in the Napa Valley where she has what seems like raw cookie dough in the cookie and she's never given out the recipe and people have always tried to imitate it. I decided to create my version, not pretending that it's exactly like hers, but something that was inspired by her. And and does yours have cookie dough? Well, not exactly. I mean, it's as close to raw cookie dough as you can get because it doesn't have any eggs in it, so it's safe to eat, but it has that moistness to it. And then the, the lemon rind, actually the zest that's candied, mitigates against the sweetness. You know, it gives an extra texture. And I called it lemon lumpies because they are lumpy, and I think lumpy is kind of homey and adorable. I think it's wonderful, but it is reminding me of, I think you write about the first cookie you made in 1960, off the back of the um, mm-hmm. the oatmeal container, and it was yeah. a colossal fail. Well, the interesting thing is it was a cookie, not cookies. It was supposed to be separate cookies. <laughs> It came out with just spreading all over the pan, and I thought, that's it. I'm never going to bake cookies again. Well, I revisited that a few years later when I tasted this 
almond crescents. I call it Rose's almond crescent because that was my first cookie that I baked and that was successful. Can we revisit the brownie donut? There's sort of a donut, but the hole is filled with, again, something gooey. Well, they're donut-shaped brownies. They're moist and fudgy. And what makes them really special is having a pool of ganache in the center. And ganache, for those who have tasted but maybe don't know. Yeah, ganache is a mixture of cream and chocolate melted together. When it first came out, nobody knew what ganache meant. It actually came from Switzerland. And I used to joke and say it's the ultimate nache. But now (laughs) most people do know because it's the basis of truffles, chocolate truffles. Yeah, and nache, a snack. Well, this is the thing. I like to keep things simple, but I also have an imagination, and I like different textures. This is Woody's concept, is the luxury brownies that have three different types of brownie components. And... That could be one of my absolute top favorites. We should say Woody, Woody Walston, uh, uh, who, yeah. as you say, your partner in Clem. <laughs> well, very sweet. Mm. And you have, it seems, been very lucky to have very supportive men in your yeah. um, career, including your late husband, Elliot. You write, the last words he spoke to you, a supremely generous wisdom and love, never give up your work. He knew how important it is to have something that you love that you can continue doing. And luckily, the type of thing that I do, I can continue. Yeah. Pecan praline chocolate Scheherazades. They're like a disc of caramel dipped in chocolate. Thinking there. You know, there are different categories of cookies. There are the bar cookies and the chocolate chip type cookies. But there's also the candy cookies, and that falls into that category. Also, the buttercrunch toffee. Oh, my God. That I add that to ice cream. It's just heaven. You know, actually, these are all my favorite things. That's how I got lucky to put them all in the book. Well, and they include tips, each of them. This is for zest. Wash the orange mm-hmm. with dishwashing liquid before zesting it? You know, I never could have thought something like that. But Barbara Trapp, who had China Moon Restaurant... She was the one who imparted that wisdom to me. And what a difference it makes. You still have the full flavor of the citrus fruit, but you don't have the bitterness. And only a detergent will remove that without imparting its own flavor. Cassava results in a finer, more dissolving texture than cornstarch. I am not even sure I know what that is. It's from the tapioca root. Ah. And cassava is actually finely ground. And cookies like the alfajores, cassava is more dissolving and tender. And huh. Also in spritz cookies. Well, what about um, the pans that you, the baking sheets that you choose? Copper-colored, common? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You don't? Okay. Aluminum. Okay. I use aluminum. There's the divide between chewy and crispy. And then there's some of us in the category of burning. So how do you pick the <laughs> best pan or pick the best technique for crispy versus chewy? That's a really important question because it touches on not just the type of pan, but also the type of flour that you use. Unbleached flour has higher protein, so it binds up the water more and you get less puff and less spread. And also, cookies that tend to brown more on the bottom, maybe slightly higher in sugar, you would want to have the cookie sheets that are insulated or double pan the the cookie sheets or partway through baking, just raise it to a higher rack. Well, we mentioned you say bake cookies as close to the center of the oven as possible. And if you prefer to bake multiple sheets of cookies, make sure to allow a minimum of two inches between the edges of the cookie sheets and the sides of the oven. Always, no matter how many sheets you do, you have to have that circulation. Yeah. Um, And also, as far as the size of the cookies, if you have some that are small and some that are large and they're both on the same pan... 
you have to take off the ones that are smaller, although overbake. And if you take them all off, then the larger ones will underbake. So it's just kind of a common sense thing. But always things are better spaced, not just so they won't run into each other, but because they cook more evenly. Yeah. In a glowing um, introduction to the book, other chefs mentioned that you were the first person to insist that metric weights are imperative. I was the first person to insist that weights period, are imperative, because I wrote an article about 20 years ago for the LA Times Syndicate, Way to Bake. I mean, it's so much easier and faster, but the big thing is that if you measure flour and if a recipe doesn't say how it's measured, you might end up with as much as one and three quarter times the amount of flour. And then, of course, things will be crumbly and dry, but now almost all baking books have weights and have metric weights. And it's easy to think about when you think that on a scale, you just kind of switch to metric from ounces or ounces to metric, metric to ounces. It's not something you have to calculate mathematically. It's there for you. Can I just say, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, it is called the cookie Bible, but right now you are like Moses. Come down from the mountain to our producer, Karen Millen-Metzen, who is such a baker. In fact, I'm going to brag on her. She wins the NPR, you know, system-wide baking competitions regularly. But she also loves the leftover cookies. What is this? The uh, Freedom cookies. Freedom cookies. What, what is this? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I came up with that concept when I've been testing all these cookies and I had all these scraps of things like dried fruit and glassade stuff and nuts. But put them in the basic cookie dough as much as you'd like. It gives you the freedom to create your own cookie with just, your leftovers. Just smoosh them all in. Coconut, yeah. cranberries whatever you have. Rose Levy-Berenbaum, is there one last thing you want to leave with people who just love this information so much? Is there some tip? You know, if I have a cookie recipe and I love it, how do I make it different and better? I would say make it the way it's written the first time so you can see the way it's supposed to be. And then if you wanted to add some other ingredient, just add one thing. Browning the butter for the chocolate chip cookie was one of my big signature breakthroughs because not only does it give more flavor, it evaporates the water so it's crunchier. And I also use the brown solids. Those milk solids also are delicious. So that's how I created my own version. And that's how people could be inspired to perhaps create their own. Brown butter. Yep. Okay. Take butter and brown it. And take notes. Rose Levy Barenbaum. <laughs> Again, the new cookbook, The Cookie Bible, released this week. Thanks so much. It's been a joy, Robin. That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. If you want more, you can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash books. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez-Sarmiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Ashley Lisenby, Melissa Gray, Tilda Wilson, Matthew Sherman, Danny Hensel, Elena Burnett, Justine Kennan, Karen Miller-Medson, Todd Muntz, and Gabe Bullard. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. When you book through Capital One Travel using the Venture X Card, you earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights, and you earn unlimited 2x miles on all other purchases. Plus, receive a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.